0: (laughs) this is jess and you're listening to the pumping podcast mamas i have a killer mama to talk with you today her name is chanel and on instagram she has one of the best handles i've ever heard a working with an e mama a working mama and she is working it in so many different ways fitness health She's a beautiful blogger, and she's a mama of two. Her website is just awesome as well, and you have to go check out all of the things that she has on there. But I had a blast speaking with her, and I know that you'll love hearing what she says as well. So here is Chanel. Mamas, I could not be more excited today. I am sitting down with the beautiful Chanel. She at Instagram is at A, the letter A, working W-E-R-K-I-N-G, mama. We're going to talk a little bit about that and what that means to her, but um, you got to go check her out. I'm so grateful that you're here. We were just chatting before I pressed record and I was saying, we got to get this interview going because I feel like I could talk to you forever. So hopefully we'll keep this <laughs> within a reasonable time frame. But thank you so much for being here, Chanel. I'm really grateful.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me and reaching out.
0: Of course. So- When you go check her out on Instagram and her website, which is beautiful, she encourages fitness, health. She has a beautifully written blog that you got to go check out. The link is going to be in the show notes. And she's also a mama of two. And so I want to go back to this Instagram handle that you have. And I need to read something that you wrote on a post recently. I've been reading a lot of your posts. And there's another one that I want to read, too, because I just think it's so inspiring. So this is what you say. A working, W E R K I N G, a working mama is a mama who is paving her own path and redefining motherhood. She doesn't fit into a stereotypical definition of motherhood, yet doesn't shy away from embracing all of the many new normals that you learn to adjust to. She is working motherhood while still chasing her dreams, not letting one compete with the other. She is bold. She is unapologetic. She is strong. She is vulnerable. She is me. Holy shit. I think that, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm going to swear, cover the little baby's ears if they're there, but this is fucking beautiful.
1: Thank you. I
0: literally, I read that and I was like just shot to the heart. And I think all those mamas listening are going to feel that way. Where did the inspiration for this name and just that whole mindset come from?
1: Yeah. So, um, honestly, I did not know what kind of mom I was going to be like before I had kids. And I was just so surprised myself because before having kids, I was very career driven. I was very much so like this go getter, this hustler, this dreamer. And those things started to look different after I had kids. When I had my son, I was like, okay, I still wanna do these things, but I felt like because I was a first time mom, I just was competing. Like essentially, my roles as a career woman and as a mama were just competing. And I felt like a lot of times I was kind of caving to this societal pressure that work and career has to come first. Um, And I was just having some internal battles because I was like, no, this is my family, this is my son, and I just, felt so terrible at the fact that like, because of the way that our society is set up, a lot of parents only have a couple hours, true hours with their kids every single day, because you're going to work at eight, nine in the morning, you're not getting home until five, six at night, and then your kids are going to bed. So for me, I really made it my mission to create a lifestyle and try to pave my own pathway and my own road of motherhood that was gonna fit for me and my family. Um, And so when I say work, the reason that it's W-E-R-K is because I want people to feel confident in it. It is obviously for working moms, it is for stay-at-home moms, So we have to kind of create this narrative that is different than what we have been accustomed to for our entire lives. And, that was just kind of where it came from. I, you know, you'll say when I see people or if I have friends and they look good or they're doing something I'm like, "Hey, girl, you better work." Mm-hmm. So I was like, "I should feel that same way. We should be complimenting each other as mamas the same way." So Absolutely. that's kind of where the inspiration came from. Um, and I have just tried to like create this own pathway for myself and that's going to work for our family. Um, and so I have found now after having two kids that. I don't have to compromise one for the other. Um, Yes, my days may look different. Yes, I may have to say no to more things than I did prior to, but I'm just so much happier in this new normal of my lifestyle where yes, I'm still working a lot. And that means sometimes I don't get as much sleep as I would like, but Mm -hmm. I still don't have to compromise the time with my kids. And thankful to COVID, nobody's compromising any time. So (laughs) that's, uh, that's kind of the inspiration behind it.
0: That's a beautiful thing to hear too, because I know as myself, not yet a mama and thinking about that time, you know, I, I'm very much that way. Sometimes I think to my detriment, you know, I'm always thinking about what's next. What can I work on? What can I create? How can I stay busy? And actually this month I'm trying to chill out a little bit more and just read, (laughs) but I do get a little apprehensive for that day that I do start a family and thinking like, Am I going to have this internal struggle to just be present as a mom and be home and be with them and, you know, enjoy every single moment? I think that can be a really hard thing for women, especially because we always have that need to show up, you know, and to work, W-E-R-K, no matter what we're doing. Um, so that's really interesting to hear you say that you were kind of in that place and then adjusted a little bit. but. There seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel, so hopefully I'll find that light. When that yeah, day
1: comes. You will. You got this.
0: <laughs> I also want to point the listeners out to um, an area on your website that I thought was really cool. You have a link to the Montessori items that you recommend for sensory toys and activities and learning. I especially wanted to mention this cuz I have a couple friends personally that I know have kids that are just in that that moment of wanting to, you know, learn and, and occupy their time and sensory things with practical life skills. So I just want you to quickly touch on what your experience was with those items to help with those practical life skills as, as your little ones grew.
1: Yeah. So we, um, I had no idea about Montessori. I feel like most new parents just don't know what they don't know. And thankfully I had a coworker whose friends, I'm sorry, whose kids uh, we're in Montessori school, and he just ranted and raved about it. So I started to look more into it because the current childcare situation that our son was in um, just wasn't necessarily what I was looking for for him. I wanted him to be more challenged. I wanted him to have more real life, practical life skills. I used to be a teacher, so I had that eye from like an educator's perspective of what I wanted to see for him. And so when I brought him home, I was kind of a stay-at-home mom, working from home part time, and then I was in the office the other. Part of the week, and I just saw how much he grew, and how much his mind and his exploration and his curiosity was growing from some of these things that we're using as adults. And so, a lot of the things that I've posted and that I've put on that Amazon list is their items. Now he's in a Montessori. He was in a Montessori school before COVID. Those are all items that a lot of us use on a day-to-day basis. And so, I wanted to kind of shift his learning to something that was going to be practical, that was going to be Applicable, um, not just him being able to match colors, but helping him use that skill set to now match the knives with the knives and the forks with the forks and things that we have to do as yeah, adults every single Exactly. Thing. And so that was kind of the inspiration behind that because we, um, I've showcased a lot of the different things that we've done in our new homeschool space at home. And Um, a lot of people were just asking, like, what kind of things do we use? And I don't believe in buying a bunch of toys because I'm also very OCD and do not like clutter. So (laughs) we're trying to, you know, some of the stuff, you know, is very, um, child centered. And I think that that's great, but there's also a lot of things and a lot of lessons that we use with just some of the stuff we already have in the house. So I think for people who are looking to go that route of Montessori and doing more practical life, it is so worth it. It is so necessary. And I have just seen, I have to remind myself that he's only two sometimes because I'm like, yeah, you know how to do these things on your own now because we've practiced them. It's not, you know, sitting him in front of a screen all day, or it's not just, you know, making him play with blocks all day. It's like being intentional behind everything you do, even if that's not with a Montessori item. It's what is the goal out of this? playtime that we're having. And that's just kind of the way that I approach it while still allowing him to just be a kid and have fun.
0: Yeah, that's so important. But yeah, mamas go check out on her website in the show notes, go check that out. Um, and in addition, I'm staring, looking at her beautiful face and seeing a gorgeous necklace that she's wearing and shirt that's going to be coming out. So she also on her website has a whole apparel section, little gift section with these beautiful mama necklaces, and we have a little discount code coming. So um, check out the show notes for that because you know who knows fall. Holidays are around the corner, whether we want to admit it or not. And um, it might be a little, oh, I was going to say it might be a little gift, or it might be a little tip to tell your partner, hey, I love this shirt. (laughs) Maybe I should have it. You never know. Um, Okay, there are so many things we could talk about from C-sections to V-backs to staying productive, healthy eating, faith. Oh my gosh, there's so much in all of your Blog posts have tons, but before we dive into that deeply, I want to bring us back a little bit before before kids and back in time. so you touched a little bit on what you've what life was like then with teaching and stuff, but what what were you going through? What was life like then?
1: Life was flexible' <laughs> the best word that I can say with my life as far as just like free and flexible before kids like that was it I think. Now it's hard because I have two kids. It's hard to like, think about what was life like before kids. Cause that's now your whole life is centered around them in a way. Yeah. But the, the best way that I could put my life before kids is like flexible. We could, my husband and I would just like, we would do date nights every week. We would try restaurants every week. And that was like our thing. We would travel and we would try new food and we would work out. That, those are like the three things that kind of like mm-hmm. brought us together. And so we would go to the gym every morning at 6am or 5am or, you know, whatever. And that was just our routine. So I definitely long for the days that I can just get up and go to the gym. Now, <laughs> I know it. now, like you can see how my Instagram, it's just 30 minute workouts here and there because you just got to get it in when you can, yeah. um, which I'm appreciative of. And that's great. It makes you appreciate fitness a lot more, but um, yeah, it was just free and flexible. And now it's wonderful because I'm a planner, but it's also kind of like, it's the, it lacks a little spontaneity sometimes because you have to plan everything. Okay. I got to leave at this time because this is when their nap time is going to be. I can't get on a plane at this time because then they're going to be screaming the whole time
0: or, exactly.
1: um, yeah. Or what time is lunch and does that conflict or what time is bedtime? Can I go out and have drinks with the girls? So it is, uh, definitely a lot more structured now, um, that we have kids, but, again, because of like the whole mission that I have for myself, as far as like creating this pathway of motherhood for myself, I'm trying to also create some spontaneity within our new life of parenting.
0: Yeah. Maybe it'll look a little smaller or a little different, but try to fit it in in different ways. Exactly. So take us through your first pregnancy journey. What did that look like and how did it compare to your second?
1: So my first pregnancy was awesome. Um, I did have, you know, the morning sickness. Um, I was, you know, I had morning sickness with both my son and my daughter, but I loved being pregnant. I mean, again, I was still free at that point. So I was going to the gym every morning. I was working out. I was eating well. Um, we had a good relationship with our OB um, at the time, what we thought was a good relationship and building a strong foundation with him. Um, but I loved it. I mean, we, I embraced pregnancy. Um, I was not ashamed of like the amount of weight that I was gaining because my husband is not a small individual. So I already knew that, you know, there was- <laughs> you were going to have bigger babies. <laughs> yeah, he didn't end up being that big. Oddly enough, neither one of my kids are large. So it's, I don't know where this extra weight was coming from, but yeah. I worked out every day in my pregnancy um, was really healthy eating. Um, really intentional. I took a lot of time. What I thought at the, t- at the time was educating myself. I really, because I'm a teacher, I really wanted to educate myself because my plan was to have a natural birth. So I wanted to do everything natural. I told my OB at the beginning, I do not want an epidural. Now, knowing what I know, I should have picked up red flags earlier because when I told that to my OB and I told him I wanted to have a water birth, we were going to be in the hospital, but I wanted to have a water birth. He said he didn't do those. And so I kind of gave up the water birth thing at that point because of one traumatic story that he shared with me so I was like okay you know what I'll give that up even though that was what I wanted I just don't want an epidural and when I told him that he responded with okay yeah most a lot of my moms say that but like 90% of them or something crazy end up still getting an epidural and I'm like okay but because I still was like pretty convinced that I was going to be a natural laboring mama that didn't concern me much. I just was kind of like, well, I don't know why you felt the need to tell me that because I'm still not getting an epidural, but thanks for sharing your statistics. Yeah. You know, fast forward, I, my water broke at 37 and a half weeks. I was excited because I was like, great, we're having this baby. And so, but I was not um, dilated at all. So when I went to get checked after I got after my water broke, which was also a funny story because I was in the middle of a meeting and my water broke. Oh my god! <laughs> but I went, to the, I went to his office and he said, yes, your water did break. And then even though I wasn't dilated at all, he still sent me to the hospital to get induced. And because of all of the education that I was doing for myself, I was really, what I realized now is that I was educating myself on one lane, which was natural birth. I did not pay attention to epidurals. I did not pay attention to C-sections because I'm like, that's not gonna be my story. That's not, I'm working out every day. I'm doing everything right. So I don't need to even worry about that. And so when I got to the hospital and I also didn't know anything about inductions or interventions because again, I didn't even think that that was gonna be an option for me because I had been everything right, what I thought. And so um, got to the hospital, they induced me with Pitocin. And I hadn't, I still hadn't felt my contractions, even though my water had broken. I wasn't having Braxton Hicks. I wasn't experiencing any of that or none that I could feel at least. So knowing what I know now, my body was not ready to labor yet. I mean, my water was breaking, you know, but I I wasn't, my body wasn't ready to start laboring naturally yet, but I got induced because that's what he told me to do. And that's, I just said, okay. And Um, they eventually put the Pitocin at the highest level they could because my contractions were just taking longer to start. And, um, we were in labor for about 17, 18 hours naturally. And I was, again, I was so determined, even though they kept coming in and asking me, okay, do you want an epidural? Do you, do you want an epidural? And I was like, no, like I've already shared my birth plan with you. I don't want an epidural.
0: And now, were so, you exhausted during oh, this time?
1: Yes. And the yeah. thing was, we didn't have support. So it was just my husband and I in the room and we had interviewed a doula, but we didn't understand the value of them until after this whole fiasco went down. So I regret that wholeheartedly. Um, and I was exhausted. And at that point I had tried a few other natural things to help curb like the pain. Um, I tried nit- nitrous oxide and um, just different positions that I thought I was supposed to do on my own. And when they came in and told me at that point, I was only four centimeters and I had been in labor for 17 hours at that point. I was like, yeah, I can't in my mind. I, now I have this like discouragement essentially. Cause I'm like, okay, all that. And I'm only at four centimeters. Like what right. is this? And again, they, so that topped on with them keep continuing to ask me, do you want an epidural? maybe that'll help you feel better. Maybe that'll help you relax. So I was like, whatever, just give me the epidural. Because at this point I I can't imagine going 17 more hours. And that's how I thought about it in my mind, like, like mathematically. Of course. And so, um, got the epidural and got to relax. I took a little nap and I just wasn't, I guess, progressing like they would have wanted me to. So that at that point, they said that uh, my son's heart rate was dropping during contractions and that he could have been in distress. And they didn't know if the cord could have been wrapped around his neck or his foot or whatever. So at that point, my OB said, we may need to do an emergency C-section. And I was at that point, I was devastated because I already felt like a failure having to get yeah. an epidural because that was, again, not something that I planned. to put Mm -hmm. But then to have to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum and have a C-section was like even more devastating for me. And um, he told me that was my best option, even when I asked, like, is this, do I have to do this? And he's like, that's probably your best option. So at that point, my mama brain kicked in and was like, you just got to do what you got to do to get your your baby here healthy and safe. And so ended up having a C-section and that was kind of the way that we ended. But it was a, for me it was a very traumatic experience, both in this experience and afterwards, because of you just feel like, or I just felt like, I felt like a failure as a, as a mama. And then I also felt like I wasn't being told the truth. Like, I think one thing that you, you receive or you get, or you figure out really early on is like your gut instinct or your mama instinct. And you're like, to trust that and I didn't trust mine because I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing or I knew what I was talking about and I didn't have anybody else there to advocate for me so I, I didn't really feel like it was absolutely necessary um I don't know that I'll ever know that I mean I you know I'm kind of grateful for the experience because I get to share as a VBAC mama now but you know it is a very um, it is a very traumatic experience or it can be because, you know, my, the doctors were, while they were cutting me open, they were talking about what they were going to have for lunch that day. Yeah. And I'm like, is this what we should be talking about? Like,
0: okay. It's so interesting. A couple of things that I hear in your story. One thing that I feel like people say almost every time is the benefit of a doula and someone else to kind of be your advocate and just think about you. And then the other things I hear are, first of all, your OB and how comfortable or not comfortable you felt. I think a lot of women feel, though, that they know best or, oh, but I've already invested six months with them or I've already invested eight months with them. Um, We were, before we started recording, we were talking about another episode that I've done with two amazing ladies about VBACs. You guys can go check that episode out. I forget which number it is, but... Be back is in the title, so you'll see it. Um, and I remember in that episode, one of them saying, like, you can be right before labor, right before delivery, and change your OB. I mean, of course, that's scary. And I'm sure every mama, every woman would freak out to do that. But it is possible. Um, and And so I think to encourage future mamas or moms who are maybe, you know, thinking about having a second or third or whatever just go with your gut i think and and do that other research to change if you need to and then the third thing i heard was it's so empowering that you had the idea to have a natural birth from the beginning but i think there's also a benefit to kind of getting a little taste of everything so maybe you you know if you had done some previous research about C-sections, about, you know, Pitocin, about induction, all of that stuff. Maybe it didn't, you know, dive full force into it, but just got a little taste so that it wasn't so scary at that moment. Do you think that stuff would have helped?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's a part of what I do now. I mean, I have a childbirth course that I lead and we talk about just the different interventions and the, the different plans, like having a plan, if this were to happen, what do you want it to look mm-hmm. like? Because I do believe if I would have had that education, that I would have been able to advocate for myself a little bit more and set the environment that I wanted for my
0: birth. And so now then with your second child, your daughter, you decided to have a VBAC, like you mentioned. So how did you prepare for that differently than you prepared for your son?
1: Yeah. So um, one, I was much more intentional about choosing my healthcare provider. Like you said, I wish I would have known that I could have switched for the exact reasons that you shared, I just was like, you know what, I'm already, I've already paid this man. I have, you know, like, I don't even know where to start trying to find somebody else. So I didn't even, like, I did not even think about that being an option for me. So I took a little bit more time in interviewing my healthcare providers, as far as what I was looking for out of them and trying to find somebody who I felt clicked with me. Um, and what in my family and that my husband was also comfortable with because he was going to be there, too. And he might have to advocate on behalf of me. So that was the first thing that I did differently was finding the right healthcare provider. And I knew I wanted to be out of a hospital. And in Dallas, there's not a ton of birthing centers. So I had to be extremely picky about, you know, which one of these people I was going to choose or it was, was I going to drive a little bit further to find something that was outside of the city?
0: I should have asked you this in the beginning. I totally forgot. You're centered in Dallas, that's right? Okay. I should have let. I, I usually like to let my listeners know, <laughs> listeners know, yes. so that they, you know, can connect. But okay, cool. I have a question too, just about that. Did you do that research before you got pregnant with your second, or what, after you were pregnant? My
1: second was a surprise. Okay. So, um, well, the minute I found out I was pregnant, I started like doing a bunch of research. And because I had, I did end up having a postpartum doula. After my first. Mm. So I built a relationship with her and I asked her for recommendations because I knew she knew this landscape a lot better than I did. Um, so that was the first thing. I did a lot of research and interviewing with different healthcare providers. So we would just literally go sit down and talk to them about what their approach was and, you know, were they comfortable? What was their VBAC rate? Because that's also important. Just because they're, you know, a midwife or a birth center doesn't mean that. They specialize or are comfortable doing V-backs. Um, So that was another thing that I looked into. Obviously, I got a doula. So that was like the first person that I hired because I needed to know from the beginning that I was going to have somebody there that was going to advocate and coach me through the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the first two things. And then I still took my physical health pretty seriously. Um, Like I said, I was very, very focused on the physical aspect of my first pregnancy and working out and making sure that my body was ready to labor and having labor endurance. Um, So I still did that as much as I could with having a baby or a one-year-old at the time, Um, did that as much as I could. And that meant, you know, going to the gym or even having shorter workouts at home. But besides the physical piece, I really, really tried to focus in on the, the mental preparation because I really believe that my second birth or my second labor was much more mental than it was physical. And I realized that that was where I fell in my first labor was the mental piece. I allowed myself to get mentally uh, discouraged and mentally depleted Mm -hmm. in my first, when I was like, you know what, I'm only at four centimeters. Like, I'm just, I can't do this. When you've been going, you know, going through contractions for so, so many hours, you're just kind of like, Am I strong enough to get through this? And so I wanted to prepare myself a lot better this time to know that I could get through it. And so even when my physical, you know, abilities might wear out or I might get tired or whatever, that my mental was still there. And that I had some place to go to keep me, to keep me encouraged. So that was a lot of, a lot of the um, research and things that I was doing meditation and, you know, words of affirmation and creating those sorts of spaces and telling my husband what I needed him to say to me while we were in labor. So that was, I think I, I took a much different approach, a much more holistic approach my second time around and knowing that it was like a full holistic thing that I had to do, which was not just be able to endure the physical aspect of labor, but I had to be able to overcome the mental aspect of labor.
0: Yeah. I'll also just share for anyone that's listening. um, I have an episode way back at the beginning, episode seven, with Carrie Tushoff, and she's the founder and CEO of Hypno Babies. I don't know if Chanel, you've ever heard of Hypno Babies. I am
1: very familiar.
0: Yeah. So I'm just, that's coming to mind in thinking whether it's your first or your second, it might be be something to consider as far as the mental piece goes, because you can kind of get yourself into that meditative state and really focus on, like you said, the positive words of affirmation and all of that stuff. So that might be a good resource for people to check out. Um, I have a friend, she was also interviewed, um, and she introduced me to hypnobabies and she was saying that with her first pregnancy, she did not do that. But then with her second, she did it and it was like. Night and day, completely, completely night and day. So that mental part is definitely important. And so, what was your VBAC experience like? And do you have any tips or advice that you would give moms who may potentially go through that? It was beautiful.
1: I mean, oh, that's
0: so nice to hear.
1: <laughs> it was so beautiful. I mean, it was the most empowering thing that I probably have ever done in my life. And obviously, I think sometimes when people hear that, they're like, "Oh." it's going to be pain-free and it was, it no, it, it may not be pain-free, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the more in tune you can get with your mental and the more you can talk to yourself and the more that you, the more you can control and protect the peace that you have in your environment, the less, you know, pain you may feel or experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just so beautiful. I just felt like so much positivity and love in the room. I mean, we labored at home for a while before we went to the birth center. But I just felt like, so supported. Um, my doula was here, my husband was here. And, and they were really just following me and my baby. Um, and I think that that was the one of the biggest differences was that I felt like I was on a timer at the hospital, because I couldn't be, you know, they have other people that they got to kind of swing through this rotation. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't be there for three, four days laboring, that was just not going to happen. But in this situation, if I was laboring for four days, then I was laboring for four days. And that was just going to be my story. And so I just felt so supported because everybody was just being so patient and they were saying, okay, do you want to lay down right now? Okay, let's go for a walk or let's go do this. Or do you want some music on? Or do you like, it was just so centered around me that I felt so supported and loved. Um, It wasn't that it wasn't, you know, quote unquote painful. It was just that the pain felt more manageable because I wasn't being rushed. Um, I also elected in this time because I knew my mental situation in the first one. I elected to not have vaginal checks because I didn't want to get discouraged by a number, mm. and I knew for me that was going to that was going to mess with my mental if I wasn't where oh, that's so interesting. it should be. Yeah, and vaginal checks. I mean, if for people who don't know, vaginal checks are not required. I think yeah, not I we didn't get pressured know that. Into them. <laughs> yeah, we get pressured into them because the doctors want to know. Um, but if you just follow the mama's body and allow her to follow her body, then you'll know to an extent where she's at in labor. And that was something that I didn't learn about until my second pregnancy. So I did elect to not have vaginal checks and just follow my body and do what my body needed me to do in the moment. Um, So again, it was so beautiful. We did a lot of walking at the park. Um, We did a lot of, you know, squats and lunges and a lot of the physical things that I prepared myself for. Mm -hmm. But then we also did a lot of relaxation things and I was able to just go in the shower and literally just kind of like pray and be with God in that moment. Because I knew that once I was in this space of like feeling like I wanted to give up that I needed to go and be by myself for a second and just kind of like center. And so I just, again, I just love the fact that I could do what I needed to do and people were going to be okay with that, but they were still going to be encouraging me and pushing me along the way to get to this ultimate goal. I remember that (laughs) I was labor and I was getting to the point of transition which is kind of like right before you're about to push. I had no idea that I was in transition. I just felt like this is, this is, this is it. I'm done. (laughs) Just send me, just take me to the hospital. I just told him, I said, guys, I'm tapping out. I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. Where is this baby? And my doula, I remember my doula and my husband saying, no, we're not giving up. You have this, like, you got this, keep going. And I was like, no guys, I just, I'm just done. I'm over it. Like, I'm just, I can't, this was a good fun try, but nope, it's just not for me. And they're like, no, Chanel, you've got this. And then within like an hour or an hour and a half, I had my baby. However, um, we, I wasn't doing vaginal checks um, and I was getting to a point where I was just kind of like exhausted. There were, um, I allowed them to do one vaginal check but I told them not to tell me. So I said, you know what? I don't know where we're at, but I just need you to tell me what I need to do because I'm listening to my body, but I, I don't know. I just need to know like can I rest right now? Do I still need to keep moving around? Whatever. So I allowed them to do one vaginal check, but I said just don't tell me because I don't want to get discouraged. And so that was around 11:30 p.m. I got to the birth center at 5:30. That was around 11:30. Um, and so the midwife shared it with my doula. So my doula knew what I needed to be doing. And I had my daughter by 345. So it was very quick between 1130 and 345 AM. Now, thinking back to my previous pregnancy, when they told me before I got an epidural, I was four, four and a half centimeters. When they checked me at 1130, now, after I had my, my baby, I... Ask them how far along I was. I was four centimeters. Wow. So, you know, when you think about this, right, if you don't know how labor works and you don't know how a woman's body works, like you'll be very quick to say you're only at four centimeters, you've been in labor for X amount of hours. Like we just need to go ahead and do this because it's a failure to progress. And you hear that a lot. And I'm not saying that for some women that's not the case. However, if I would have known that I can go from four to 10, in a matter of four hours, right? I would have stuck with it in the hospital. But I didn't know that that was possible. So I literally went from, like I said, four centimeters to pushing within four hours. And I pushed for 10 minutes. And wow, that's so unreal to hear. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, I'm glad they didn't tell me because yeah. if I would have known that was at that- or at 1130, I'd have been like, just, just take me, let's just take me to the hospital.
0: Right, exactly. And I've heard that before. I I forget what episode it was, but we had a conversation about this phrase, failure to progress. And I, it, it's like the worst phrase you could ever tell yeah. a birthing woman. <laughs> you
1: know?
0: it's, it's awful.
1: rephrase that one.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so amazing to hear. And I think a smart thing, because like I said, I've never heard that you can't you, you can request not to hear about your progression. And I think that's so important because it is such a mental game.
1: It is. It really is.
0: Mamas, I just wanted to take a quick moment to recognize one of my sponsors, Hypno Babies. is birth hypnosis, how to enjoy your baby's birth in comfort, joy, and love. If you're a soon-to-be mama or know a soon-to-be mama, check out the link in the show notes for Hypno Babies. There's a home study course, there's MP3 tracks, and there's also a few non-birthing tracks as well. How to stop smoking, how to help your toddler sleep, and many, many more. Check out Hypnobabies in the show notes for a 20% off discount, and make sure you use the code PUMPINGPODCAST for a 20% off discount. For more info about Hypno Babies, you can go back and listen to episode 7, where I interviewed the founder and CEO, Carrie Tishoff. She was gracious enough to give my listeners a private code for 20%. Off. So make sure you use that code pumping podcast, go check out hypno babies in the show notes. Now back to the show. I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Um, because this episode is actually going to be coming out in September, but we are recording this in August. And I'm taking the first few episodes back in starting up our our second year of the Pumping Podcast. And I'm taking a moment to celebrate um, World Breastfeeding Week and Month, which was in August. And so I want to touch a little bit on your breastfeeding journey before we wrap up, because like I said, I could talk to you forever. Before we dive into that, I want to read again something that you wrote that I think is beautiful on one of your last Instagram posts. So you write, As we celebrate World Breastfeeding Week, I want to make sure that we are also celebrating our pumping mom, who puts in hours upon hours pumping milk for her little to ensure that they have breast milk. Just because the baby isn't attached to the breast doesn't mean it's not breastfeeding. Some mamas are forced to pump because they are going back to work, baby doesn't latch well, it's painful for mama, and or they just want a few hours of freedom. It's the same source and a labor of love for our babies either way. I just thought that was an interesting and very important thing for our moms to hear, especially on the pumping podcast. A lot of people get confused when they hear my title and it's, we don't just talk about pumping or breastfeeding. We don't just support one or the other. We support everything, but the intention is just when moms are in these places of isolation that they get something to listen to so that they don't feel so alone. So thank you for sharing that. Cause I know that you had a breastfeeding journey, but other people might, you know, everyone's journey looks different. So what did your journey look like?
1: Yeah. So I've had two very different journeys um, with my son. And this is why I'm glad that you do this because just before I even go into the story, I think it's so important to to highlight a, a variety of mama's stories because for me, that is what has kept me going. Like following other people's stories and hearing the ways that they've overcome different challenges. Like that's what's kept me going because just like labor, in my opinion, motherhood is all mental. I mean, it is a mental game. And mm-hmm. the way that people you know, evaluate and judge mamas is just like, it's just, it just doesn't make sense to me because it's like the mm-hmm. hardest thing that you may ever do in your life. And it yeah. never ends. Like you're going to be a mama forever. So it's like, there's always a new challenge that you're going to have to figure out. And so I love the fact that you are just uplifting these voices. So kudos to you.
0: Thanks. okay. Uh,
1: um, but so yes, my breastfeeding journeys were very different with my son, um, because I had a C-section, I actually just wrote about this in a recent post as well. Because I had a C-section, my milk took a little bit longer to come in. So we had a little bit of um, we had some latching issues, and we had some what we thought were like supply issues, because my milk was coming in a little bit later, and the reason that that is is because some women who have C-sections their milk, their body doesn't signal to them, Hey, start producing milk. Right. The is here. Right. And you know, it takes their body a little bit longer to realize, Oh, the baby's not in me anymore. I need to start producing milk for it because it did not, the baby didn't come out vaginally. So that was my situation the first time. And when we went to his two week checkup, um, because my milk didn't come in really until probably like day five. Um, he was like, not a happy camper. He was hungry and he was nursing literally all day. And I just did not know if I was going to be able to do the breastfeeding thing because I was just tired and raw because he's just sucking colostrum and I don't have anything else mm-hmm. to give him. I'm in at that point. So at, at his two week checkup, we were told that his weight was not where they would want it. He wasn't gaining as quickly as they would want to see. So they asked that I start pumping so that I could supplement after I nursed. So I would nurse him and then I would give him a couple of ounces of pumped milk. That was, that began my pumping journey. So I was like, you know, kind of doing, I wasn't exclusively pumping, but I wasn't, I guess I was kind of exclusively Combo platter. <laughs> yeah. I was like what, All of the above. And so, um, So it was a challenge and it was exhausting for me very early on because I was pumping after every nursing session. Um, But, you know, that was what we had to do. And again, I didn't know that, I didn't know that my milk would just come in if I would just keep nursing him more, Um, which was a part of the, you know, I'm sure the approach that they asked so that my milk supply would just kind of kick into high gear. But I just kind of kept up with that because then I had to go back to work. So, um, we nursed for a year and I pumped within that time frame as well, so that he would have milk to have when he was in daycare, um, for the year or for, for up until his first birthday. Um, then with my, and that, at that point at his first birthday, I was just kind of drying out, not realizing mm-hmm. that a week later I was going to get pregnant. Oh my
0: so, gosh, really?
1: It was a week later. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> So clearly that was my my form of birth control. It's not <laughs> my birth at foolproof, but it was for me. So um a week later I ended up getting pregnant. Found out like a month later or so. But anyways, second time around, um, or this time around, the latch, she latched on so well. She latched on very easily. It was she just was very natural with it. Um and we are almost five months in and she's ex- exclusively breastfed. Now the difference between the two is that, um, I nurse her on demand because I'm at home. So it is a little bit different of like, just what you can provide your child in terms of breastfeeding, whether you're at home or you're at work. Um, so my supply has just been going with whatever her needs are and she won't take a bottle. Mm-hmm. So now we're <laughs> there's, you know, there's a little bit, it's a, been a different experience because I'm like, I want a couple of hours yeah. of being like, I wish I had like a whole because I've been, um, because I knew my situation before, I was like, all right, in the beginning, in the first couple of weeks of breastfeeding, mamas are gonna leak a lot because their bodies are trying to regulate, okay, how much does this baby actually need? And it's just producing. Yeah. So I am a firm, firm like advocate of the haka. I don't know if anybody's talked about that on here, mm-hmm. but a firm advocate and fan of the haka because. I literally within a month had like half of my freezer full of a stash, wow. um, and that was great because I'm like, this is wonderful. When I need to go do something, she could just take a bottle.
0: But she does take a
1: bottle. <laughs> so this is great. So I'm like, I have all this stash for no reason. But so the good thing is, the one thing that I love about breast milk, and I don't know, a lot of women might tandem breastfeed. I don't tandem breastfeed just because if I'm being honest, like I'm actually, my son is very energetic and I am scared that he's going to bite me Mm. like much harder than I'm prepared. Yeah, So (laughs) I just, he's tried, he has tried to like latch back on, but I'm like, Hey, you know, let's just leave this to your sister because I just, I don't want to take that chance. Um, So what I've been doing now is I've been giving him that that supply uh, that supply Oh wow. So he gets breast milk every day and that's been, you know, amazing and it's crazy because he has allergies and we live in Texas and the weather is crazy here. But since my daughter was born, he has been the healthiest he has been since I was breastfeeding him before, wow. which is really strange. Like it's not strange if you understand breast milk, but like it's just I'm like wow. This these liquid gold is like liquid gold. And so he
0: had a, he had a break, right? He had like what, nine mm-hmm. months or something like that. Yeah. He
1: had about, yeah, about nine months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's of so interesting. Regular, he had uh, plant-based milk, but now he's, you know, he has plant-based milk and he has breast milk. Um, wow. And he's just so healthy now. It's crazy that, you know, just that simple stuff is, just a few ounces, at least a day, has really kicked his immune system back into gear. So, um, yeah, it is liquid gold. I love. For sure. I love that. It's
0: and I was just about to say, and you mentioned um, Yuza haka. In one of your blog posts I read, you were saying that because your supply was lower for your son, um, you mentioned five tips for building a supply and freezer stash like you've been talking about. And so the top one is use a haka. The second one is to eat whole meals. The third is to drink lots of water. I love this one. Um, The fourth one is practice boob equality. (laughs) And then my favorite, number five, is let the girls loose. Which I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, I'm sure, just what you kind of learned from your from your experience is the best, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. I think it's important, too, for other moms to hear that, you know, there's so much um, personal evaluation based on what your body does, how your child reacts. You know, I'm not providing it this and that, all that crap that I hear that I wish we could just get rid of and out of our minds, but it's clear that with you, it it wasn't you. It it was purely your baby and what your baby could do or could not do. And you know, your daughter latched right away and that's all she wants. Your son, you know, he took some time and then he's gone back and forth. And I I just think it's so interesting because it's not a direct evaluation reflection on you. It's your baby.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that has to be, we have to remind mamas of that all the time. Like there's not a one size fits all to this. And no matter how many blog posts you read, no matter how many doctors you talk to, like you're going to have a different story than, than the next mama. And it's okay. Like there's not one right or one wrong way of doing it. And I think sometimes that, you know, I have some friends now who their kids are a little bit younger than ours. and. They exclusively pump because that's just what fits for their lifestyle. Um, And they were having latching issues. And I just don't know that for the mental well-being of mamas, like you don't, there is not a trophy for any of this, Mm -hmm. right? Like it is about our babies and what is best for them. And You have to choose what's gonna be best for your baby, and you know that. And so, not to feel like you're less than or not to feel like you're not doing the right thing if you have to exclusively pump or if you have to supplement with formula or whatever, because, or even if your kid has had formula, you know, while you're getting your milk supply up and then you go back to breast milk. Like, all of that is, in my opinion, it is all about doing what's best for us and our babies. And if for you, you know that you need, you know, four hours of freedom. So you're gonna pump, then do that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like what good is it if you're gonna be mentally sick or going through your postpartum depression just to latch your baby onto your breast. It's not like it, yeah. And then you're you know it's a it's obvious I mean if you know about the body, the more stress you have, the less milk you're going to produce. So it's it's like a domino effect. So you have to really You really have to be in tune with yourself and your baby and do what's best for you and your baby, not one or the other, in my opinion. So that's, that's, I think that something that we need to remind all of ourselves of, like, like it is okay.
0: Do you and work it,
1: like work it how you want to. Exactly.
0: Chanel, I've so enjoyed our conversation today and I can't wait to have, corona be over and we can take a trip to texas right. and then we can go meet and <laughs>
1: you're in new york right? yeah oh my husband loves that there he's like we went there for our baby moon he's like you want to move to new york and i'm like that's fine We can right well but i'm sure once we come back there he'll be like yeah let's just come
0: no exactly yeah <laughs> but you can always take yeah. a trip and you're welcome um oh i've just so enjoyed this time Mamas who are listening, go check Chanel out at aworkingmama.com. That's her website, as well as on Instagram, aworkingmama. Don't forget it's an E W E R K I N G. And uh, all those links will be in the show notes. Also, remember that she has a beautiful, special discount code for us for all of her amazing apparel items and all that stuff. My last question for you What is something that you would like to tell your two little ones now? for when they're 18?
1: I want them to know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a Christian. Um, and so that is, I mean, there's so many things that I wanna teach them, but I want them to always remember that fact and that statement because there is gonna be so much stuff that in people that are gonna try to convince them otherwise. Um, and I think that if they can remember that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and that, that God has put them here for a purpose um, and that they can live that out, I think that, that my my hope is that that will guide them to do and to change the world in whatever way that looks like for them.
0: It's beautiful. Thank you so Thank you. much, Mama. <laughs> Thank
1: you so much for having me. Of
0: course, this has been such a joy. Go check her out on her Social media, website, read her blog. She's so inspiring, and I can't wait to connect again in the future. Absolutely. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms, and I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, take a minute on Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and make sure you review so other mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. Some fun news for you. We have a private mama network for support and community of mamas. If you'd like to join, email info at thepumpingpodcast.com. Also, if you'd like to be a guest and share your journey into motherhood, email interviews at thepumpingpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thepumpingpodcast. And for any other questions or to connect, check out thepumpingpodcast.com. Thank you so much for spending some of your day with me. You light me up and inspire me and share the podcast with a mama or future mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.